Now you're on to football centric. Welcome back to another interesting episode of Football Centric. My name is Toby, and I hope you guys had a great week. My week was absolutely phenomenal, although it was soaked with rain as it rained all across Abuja. By the way, based in Abuja, and my co host is based in Lagos. But this is the world we live in. Distance is nothing anymore, thanks to different mediums or platforms you could host podcasts with without having to be in the presence of your co-host. On that note, I introduce my co-host to you guys. Damloju, how are you doing? Of course, it's great to be back on another interesting episode of Football Centric. Like you said, Toby, it was an absolutely amazing last seven days in the world of football. Officially, we've seen another league title decided and we're basically just waiting for one in Europe's top five leagues. And there's another battle hitting up when it comes to the Premier League as teams are still chasing to see who are the other two teams that will join Liverpool and Man City in the UEFA Champions League. Oh, yeah. It makes it, makes it very, very interesting to see what's going to really, really happen when these things kick off. But before we run through all the things that have been lined up for the next couple of weeks, let's quickly just look at what we have lined up for you guys today. So today we're focusing our lenses on the FA Cup, the semi-final matches between Arsenal and Manchester City. Look at Chelsea versus Manchester United as well. Which teams do we think can get through to the finals? The guys that can win it for either of these teams. And also, sneak in what happened on Monday when a couple of clubs, football fans' hearts were broken. Q in Chelsea, Q in United, Q in Leicester City. Also, Wolves and maybe Sheffield United. Their fans were also waiting to hear what Cass had to say about Manchester City's long and dragged issue with UEFA. Eventually, we all know what happened, but we'll be delving further into what really made City win that case against Cass. And then, sneaking the top four race as we look at which teams have got what it takes which teams have got what it takes to get through the final hurdle and get straight back to Europe? Would it be Leicester City? Would it be, would it be Manchester United or Chelsea? And then we'll run to Spain, where Real Madrid have been crowned champions for the 34th time in their very illustrious history. And then look at, looking at what's really made them solid. And then ask the question again, is this team good enough to create a dominance as we've seen Barcelona do for the next couple of years? Those are the things we're talking about on the show today. And I really, really hope you join us all. All right, guys, let's get the show started. Uh, we'll be starting off with the FA Cup where we have against Arsenal will be at home. Should I say at home? Arsenal will be on neutral ground against Manchester City at Wembley Stadium. That's on Saturday. And um, we're looking forward to what we'll be doing when they play against um, the former champions. Arsenal, by the way, are currently you know, doing the right things. They got a result over Liverpool, even though they lost to Tottenham Hotspur just a few days before. Do you think Arsenal have got a chance against Manchester City who also, you know, have shown that they can be as clinical as anything else on their day? Well, honestly, on paper, it doesn't look that way. It doesn't look like Arsenal could actually get one over Manchester City. I say on paper because they've lost the last seven matches they have played against Manchester City in all competitions. That's not the kind of record you want to have when you're going into such a prestigious affair against a team who are arguably the best side in the whole of England. That said, Arsenal, we know in recent years, in the last six, seven years, have been the best team in the FA Cup. They're a traditional team. And then when it comes to playing someone on a one-off encounter, just one day straight knockout, Arsenal actually know how to get the business done. They seem like the team who have remade Wembley their new home. And the fact that they were bo- they will be buoyed by that 2-1 victory over Liverpool, nobody saw that coming. I myself did not give them a single chance. I think there might just be a glimmer of hope 
for Arsenal fans, I mean, traditional Arsenal is when you think they can absolutely not get a result. That's when they go on to surprise you. Hey, but we didn't think they'll get a result over City all the times they played them in the past few years, and they haven't got any result over them. They didn't get any result over them. Um, lost scandalously, <laughs> not necessarily scandalously, but knowing full well that they lost three 0 I think it was last season where they played. The, um, well, no one gave them a chance when they were pitted against them City in the Cali- in the Capital One Cup final last season, and eventually lost. And when they played again in the league three days after, they still lost three 0 again. So I think whenever Arsenal play against City, they just have cold feet, and it has happened time and again. They always just don't know what to do when they play against Manchester City, or we'll just say City definitely have their number because, like you said, seven games against City, they have won none of those games, but. Then again, the last time we played City in the FA Cup semi-final, they got the results back in 2015, courtesy of Alexis Sanchez and um, the other guys there. So, um, what do you think Arsenal would have to do to get the result of a City in this game? Don't tell me they have to play like how they did against Liverpool, because if they do so, I'm 100% sure to get a proper trash. So, well, there are elements of the game against Liverpool that they'll have to reenact at Wembley. I know they were played off the park by Liverpool. Liverpool had 21 shots. They had just three. They went on to score two. But they showed some level of solidity at the back. They were very good defensively and Emiliano Martinez had a wonderful game. We know that Manchester City can be very profligate in front of goal. They don't take all their chances in some certain games where they have a bad day. So, what Arsenal need to do is they need to build that solid defensive shape. Another thing Arteta is going to have to do, and well, maybe he might just have a little bit of an edge, the fact that he has worked with and under Pep Guardiola, he's going to have to cut those passing lanes from the midfield. It looks like Kevin De Bruyne is going to start for Manchester City. He didn't play the last game. If it's Kevin De Bruyne being paired alongside Rodri or Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, whoever it is. So the Arsenal defensive midfielders will have to make sure that those passing lanes getting across to Sterling, Mares, Gabriel Jesus, whoever Pep decides to play off front, will have to be cut. The moment Manchester City can start picking you off and can begin to find gaps and holes in your defences, you already have a problem. So it's going to come down to that midfield selection from Mikel Arteta. Now, for Arsenal, yeah, uh, we all know City's quality. They are clear and obvious on their day. They are good enough to, you know, rattle any defence in the world. And Arsenal's defence definitely doesn't come across as one of the best defence you, you would face on a given day. So, looking at Arsenal, what, what do you think... Uh, can stand out for them? What do you think they can actually do? Which players do you think will stand out to help them get a result? Or do you, which players do you think have to get on their A game if they, would, if they were to get a result against City this weekend? So I'm going to start with the defence line because there's something we've noticed about Arsenal. It's a common reoccurring theme. Arsenal always have issues defensively. But of late, they've looked a lot more solid when they've played three at the back. When TNE has been the left centre-back, we saw that against Liverpool. I think if they're going to get anything from the Manchester City game, they have to apply something very similar. Probably have Bukayo Saka and Cedric Suarez. Saka is a workhorse. He's always ready to put in a defensive shift. We've seen him so many times this season play as an out-and-out left-back. He can start the game from the left-wing-back position and have Cedric 
as the right wing back is a lot better defensively than Bellerin. Then, I mean, aside Tierney, whichever centre-backs you select for Arsenal would always give a form of question mark. But I think Rob Holding has done his own well. He's been holding on to what he has been doing from a few seasons ago. I think he can stay in the starting lineup. It's not a straight shootout between who starts either David Luiz. I think probably you just put David Luiz alongside Rob Holding and Kieran Tierney as the back three and have the likes of Saka and Cedric Suarez, meaning they're going to have to track the runners, whether it's Benjamin Mendy, Kyle Walker, Wakancelo, Zinchenko, whoever it is, Saka and Cedric are going to have a lot of work to do. And like I said, he has to get it absolutely spot on in midfield. I think he might have to go with two up top, maybe have Lacazette and Aubameyang so that they can give a lot of trouble to that Manchester City defence. We know that their defence has not been the best this season and have a Danny Ceballos just in the middle so he can pull the strings and find the runners. And in all honesty, do you think Arsenal have got a chance? The thing about cup ties is it's one-off. It's a one-off. It's a straight shootout. Arsenal have shown in the past that they can actually get things done at Wembley. You talked about how the last time they met Manchester City in the FA Cup, they were able to edge that one out by two goals to one. They have a chance. But honestly, I think it's going to be Manchester City against any other person in the FA Cup final. Okay, Manchester City, that's what he said. Well, not like I'm going to give Arsenal any chance, but you know what? I think City also get this one right in the back. Let's move on to Chelsea against the Manchester United. Manchester United this season have a very enviable record against Chelsea. All the times they've played each other, they have they have won all the games. The first one was in the Premier League, the opening day of the season. Manchester City won 4-0. And then they played again in the Capital One Cup. Uh, one of the rounds, I think, was it, was it the fifth round? It was Manchester United getting a 2-1 victory over Chelsea again at the Stamford Bridge. And then it was the second leg of the Premier League. Um, again, at the Stamford Bridge, it was Manchester United nicking the 2-0 victory over Chelsea. Now, this is the fourth time these guys were playing against each other in uh, in the third different competition. Chelsea versus Manchester United. Now, United's run into this FA Cup semi-final has been very impressive. Since the restart, they have not lost any single game, winning almost all their game except from two where they drew against Tottenham Hotspur and then to Southampton just a few days ago. Do you think it's going to be smooth sailing for Manchester United or Chelsea have got an upset to pull in this encounter? You already read out all the stats and let me start from there. It feels like Chelsea have a Herculean task ahead of them if they're going to get anything away from the game against Manchester United. First of all, let's go to how many games unbeaten they are. Officially, is now 18 because Manchester United's unbeaten run started even before the break due to the coronavirus pandemic. And you already mentioned how Manchester United have been one of, if not the best team in the whole of England post-lockdown. For Chelsea, they've really struggled of late. We can cast our mind back to the 3-0 loss to Sheffield United a few days ago and a lot earlier where they were overturned by West Ham by three goals to two. Not just that, ever since Bruno Fernandes came into this Manchester United team, he seems he cannot stop either scoring a goal or creating something. And Chelsea's defence has looked very, very porous to say the very least. Frank Lampard is yet to get his correct back four. He doesn't know whether he's starting Rich James on the right today. And Aspilicueta, who seems to be the best defender at the club right now, can play at right back and left back, but it seems like they don't have players who can actually deputise when he decides to play on one position. So it really looks like it's all going in Manchester United's favour. They go into this game, a lot of confidence, 18 matches unbeaten. They've beaten this Chelsea side three times this season by an aggregate score of eight goals to one. 
everything points to a victory for Manchester United. And for Chelsea, knowing fully well that United right now are on fire, um, Frank Lampard himself, you know, hasn't really, really nailed down his first eleven. He has always been twisting, changing, tinkering as to which lineup is good for him. I think he's also very reactionary. You know, I think this has been a constant theme all three season. Where Chelsea win, a, if Chelsea wins a game today, play the four-three-three, we expect that his next game is going to start the four-three-three. Now, if during the next game where he starts with the four-three-three, Chelsea needs a result and he switches to a five. 3-2 or a 3-4-3 um, formation and Chelsea eventually gets the results. Be sure that the next game is going to start with a 3-4-3 formation and then if during the next game where it starts with a 3-4-3 formation Chelsea gets uh, you know something happens and he has to change the formation you're expecting him to also start with the, next, the formation he changes to in the next game and it also happens with the personnel you know there are games where maybe midway through he takes off Alonso and brings and puts in Aspilicueta as a left back. You also expect him to do the same the next game. He simply hasn't nailed his score down. Would you say it is down to the personnel he has? Or maybe he hasn't gotten it right as a manager himself? Okay, so you can always talk about how Frank Lampard is an inexperienced manager. This is officially only his second year, his second year in top flight management. Well, top flight, when I mean top flight, I mean in mainstream because his first year was in the championship with Derby. I yeah. think there's that level of naivety with Frank Lampard. It seems like he doesn't want to try too much to change when it has gone right for him. Having said that, I will say... Chelsea have a major personnel issue. You already mentioned, and I talked about it earlier, Aspilicueta right now looks like Chelsea's best right back and left back. back. Exactly. And he can play both positions. So you look at the situation where if Aspilicueta plays a right back, who do you play at left back? Alonso plays well today, has an absolute stinker the next game. You can't use Emerson because Emerson has been in and out of form. And if you use Rich James at right back and you move Aspilicueta to left back, Rich James can have a bit of a brain fart when it comes to defending. So I think he's had major issues. And let's not forget that this Chelsea team lost their best player, Eden Hazard, could not sign anybody in the summer, even though they could sign someone in January. But it was understandable that they wanted to only get players that would absolutely improve them. So I think it's been a combination of things that has seen Frank Lampard being shaped into a manager that seems to always only react when things have either gone well or are going badly. Doesn't it create an impression of a manager if you're always only reactionary? What happened to, you know, having a philosophy, having a plain style, having an approach you with, you, you're going to stick to regardless of whatever outcome you face. I mean, well, I wouldn't want to Pep Guardiola, but he's probably one of the best examples you can put out there. Whenever he plays, a certain, he's, he's stuck to a certain style all through his career, win or lose, you know, whatever the outcome is, he still wants to play Well, I think we way. have to understand that Frank Lampard's situation is peculiar because of the club he's managing. He's managing Chelsea. Chelsea are not known for patience with managers. The owner, Robert Navarrovich, wants his result and he wants them quickly. Now, we saw earlier on in the season, Frank Lampard had a defined way he wanted to play. He wanted his team to press very quickly from the front, very vigorously, and he wanted them to be very attack-minded. It started working in, but they were leaking in a whole lot of goals. The Chelsea defense has been all over the place. Whether it's Tomari, Pierre Zuma, or Christensen is thrown in with Rudiger. However, the centre-back pairing is they've considered a whole lot of goals. I think that has influenced Frank Lampard's chopping and changing simply because he knows at this crunch stage of the season, also with Champions League places, he has to win as many games and as many points to guarantee top four. 
So let's go back to this game. Chelsea versus Manchester United. To win this game, what would Chelsea wow. have to do? To win a game like this, Chelsea have to do something similar to what they did a little over a week ago when they defeated Manchester City by two goals to one. It's going to have to be a very solid defensive shape. I mentioned this when I was talking about Arsenal against Manchester City because we know Manchester United are very lethal and dangerous on the counter-attack. Just as Brighton, that goal that they conceded in the final moments of that particular encounter, you understand that Manchester United are super searing on the counter-attack. Chelsea are going to need to have a wonderful defensive shape if they are going to get a result from this one. Also, they cannot afford to squander chances and that's a major issue for Chelsea because, first of all, they're not creating as many chances as they should, meaning any chance they get, they absolutely have to take it. And I, I'm going to look at the personnel that Frank Lampard is going to have to deploy. They still have eyes on the league position to expect a lot of rotation. I think the only thing that can play into Chelsea's hands is if Manchester United, who are also chasing those league positions with them, decide to rest a few players. But for Lampard and his lads, they definitely have to keep it tight at the back, be as stingy with turnovers as possible, and any single chance you get, you have to put it in the back of the net. Unfortunately for Frank Lampard, his task wasn't made easier considering the fact that N'Golo Kante would be missing out um, from that encounter with an armstring injury and um, makes it very difficult for him to find someone who is going to sit in front of the defence as he has done since the restart uh, and um, makes it really, really difficult to see Chelsea trying to keep a clean sheet against Manchester United. And if that happens with Jojo in front, that will be yeah, a it certainly will be. It definitely will be. Chelsea, like I said, have considered the most goals among all teams in the top half of the Premier League. I know this is a cup clash, but when there's no N'Golo Conte and it's likely to have Jorginho in midfield, probably paired with the likes of Mating Mount and Barkley, you just look at Manchester United and the likes of Pogba, Matic and Bruno Fernandes must absolutely be licking their lips at this point in time. Mm. Anyways, um, so, like you said, Arsenal versus Manchester City would end in City's favour. Whose favour would this game end? It, it only points in United. one direction to me, and that is that Manchester United will qualify and make it an all-Manchester affair in the FA Cup final. Oh, yeah. There you heard it. Damlogy says it's going to be Manchester United haven't defeated Chelsea against us, against the Manchester City who defeat Arsenal in the other semi-finals of the FA Cup. <laughs> Let's see how that pans out. And still talking about Manchester City, earlier in the week, they got the biggest news of the season so far. In fact, some City fans said it felt like a Premier League title to them <laughs> when Cass came out with the report that their ban has been overturned. Now, they were earlier banned by UEFA for two years from the UEFA Champions League haven't been found guilty of financial <laughs> doping, if that's, if that's the correct word. Do financial, they're trying to dope financially by um, inflating the amounts they got from sponsors, whereas, you know, it was being gotten from the owners. Well, these allegations came across after a series of reports from a German publication, that's um, Day Spiegel, um, with information gotten from an hacker. I think... Really, when I when I was reading all the because I I saw the publication I think it was two years ago when it came out where they had series of allegations of us against Manchester City saying that in fact the money Etihad Air pays City for sponsorship is lower than what is that than what is actually in the contract they signed you know just imagine maybe um, we're giving a vague figure Etihad is meant to pay City thirty million pounds per annum 
they probably will pay just six million pounds and then um, Sheikh Mansour is going to balance the rest just to make sure City do not fall short in terms of money. So they financial doped to get funds in and were able to sign players. And then UEFA got the hang of the story and then used the details they got off the hackers' information to actually prosecute Manchester City, found them guilty and suspending them for two years. And Cass has come to your rescue, probably because City also have enough resources to hire the best lawyers in the world to fight their case. And... You know, they came out victorious. Were you expecting the victory for City? I actually expected what happened with Manchester City to happen because we had a similar scenario a few years ago where PSG were also being investigated by UEFA for financial fair play breaching. And at the end of the day, they went away with a slap on the wrist. So it just shows you, like you mentioned earlier, a very salient point. These teams who have a load of money, who have loads and loads of money, can actually go on to employ the very best of lawyers to actually vindicate them and they go on to win the case. Also for Manchester City, it felt like the fact that those documents were gotten in a quote unauthorized manner, it also gave them a bit of leverage in their case against UEFA. And then Cass also talked about the fact that they didn't find them guilty of falsifying those figures, as well as the fact that the time that it was being looked at, 2012 to 2016, had already elapsed from the time that they should be checking it out. So I just feel like for UEFA, they did not do their homework properly, did not tie up loose ends, and that is why Manchester City will be in the Champions League next season. <laughs> That's what you think, bro. <laughs> they, they, they will be in the Champions League next season. They're second in the Premier League. Oh, I, I thought you said that is why Manchester City will win the Champions oh, League next season. Oh, no. No, no. Uh, definitely that was in my statement. Imagine if I go on to predict that and it happens. Wow. Let's <laughs> see if it's going to happen because clearly they are already in the UEFA Champions League uh, for next season. But, I mean, the reaction was not evenly shared by other teams. I mean, City were happy because the result went their way. But teams like Leicester City, like Manchester United, like Chelsea, like Wolves, like Sheffield United, you know, weren't really happy about it because before then, there were, talk about, there were talks about the top five teams making it to the Champions League. And it was pretty open for teams like Wolves, for Sheffield, to sneak in into the money league. But, you know, Cass just came and cut their joy short. However, they won't you know, feel too bad because they are also fighting for places in the Europa League. Talking about Wolves, too, um, they, they, they are also in the Europa League currently and they have got a chance to make it as far as the finals if things go their way. But, you know, did you ever think they would get into the top four, top five, or get into the Champions League? Well, maybe not the top four, but I have to admit that Wolves have been doing really, really, really well since they came back into the Premier League. Nuno Espirito Santo is a manager I rate really, really highly. And you can see the steady progress that Wolverhampton Wonders have made in the Premier League. We know there's a traditional big six side in the Premier League, likes of Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool and Spurs. Outside those traditional big six, you mentioned Leicester and probably Wolves next when you're talking about the ranking of the Premier League teams, they might actually weirdly have a chance of qualifying for the Champions League. Remember, whoever wins the Europa League, if they've not qualified via their league position, they can actually go on to win the Champions League. But I'm sure Manchester United will have a major thing to say about that. <laughs> Remains to be seen what happens if United will take on their form in the Premier League into the Europa League. Remember, like you said, 
it's going to be a one-off affair in the Europa League. And teams who have got maybe lesser quality might be looking at, why don't we just cause an upset? If that case, if it happens in the Europa League, then it really, really will be surprising if United or the major teams right there do not get as far as the finals. Now, talk, we talked about Wolves, we talked about teams not happy about Manchester City's current predicament, knowing full well that it's you know, made their task difficult. Talking about those teams, the main teams who are currently in the race for a top four finish. At the moment, with two games left, there are three teams who are hustling, really, really fighting. In fact, there's just one point between three of them, and that's Chelsea currently in third, Leicester City who are sitting pretty in fourth, not pretty by the way, but who are, you know, poised in fourth at the moment, and Manchester United who are equal on point with Leicester City but just an inf- with an inferior goal difference. Those three teams definitely would have felt a lot more comfortable if that if that decision by Cass went um, against Manchester City because they'll be like, you know what? It's done and dusted. Leicester City, Chelsea, Manchester United and Liverpool will be in the Champions League next season, but that isn't the case at the moment. Right now, with two games left for each of those teams, they are fighting tooth and nail to get in the Champions League. Now, let's quickly run through the remaining fixtures for the for, for three of the teams there. Chelsea would next face uh, Liverpool in a crunch affair. And then on the final day, they're going to play against Wolves. For Manchester United, they'll be up against West Ham next. And they'll be playing on the final day, Leicester City. <laughs> Interesting, right? Leicester City over the weekend, because they're not going to play in the FA Cup, will be playing against Tottenham Hotspur. And on the final day of the season, they will be up against Manchester United. So I think to an extent, you know, on paper, I'm not. I'm not saying um, with the quality of teams that we're playing against. Chelsea seems to have a, a a kind of. If if you look at it logically, you get Chelsea have a clear path: win or draw, win and draw your next two games and get through. In fact, Chelsea needs four points from their next two games to get through through to the Champions League next season. That's simply because on the final of the season, Leicester City will play against Manchester United, and like we know. Both teams can win the game. Very true. Very true. Both teams can win the game. And I think that's the only form of consolation for the Chelsea side. Because you mentioned on paper, the mathematics is simple. Get four points and you are through to the Champions League. It gets more complicated if Chelsea can only get one win. Because one win will take them to 66 points. And imagine if Manchester United and Leicester City win their immediate game. They go to 65 and then going into the final day, both teams have a superior goal difference to Chelsea. If they draw each other, everybody ends up with 66 points. And then immediately after that, Chelsea are knocked out based on goal difference. So I think for Manchester United and Leicester, it seems like a decent scenario for them, even though they get to play each other on the final day. For Chelsea, it's extremely tricky. They play Liverpool. I know Liverpool have dropped eight points in their last five matches, especially since their form has tailed off since they actually went on to be declared Premier League champions mathematically. But you look at that match, they're going to Anfield to play against Liverpool. Liverpool have not lost a Premier League game in, at Anfield since April 2017. That's a whole three years and three months since Liverpool lost a game at Anfield. And then coming off, that back, coming off the back of that loss against Arsenal by two goals to one, it feels like Liverpool want to come into this encounter 
all, all guns blazing. I feel on paper, if you look at all three fixtures, Chelsea probably have the most difficult running. And I know it's very close because Leicester get to play sports at Manchester United, but I feel because Leicester know their fate is in their own hands going into the final day, Chelsea have the toughest running. Mm. Well, in as much as I have a different opinion to you, I think I would agree with what you think about this too. Because, yeah, Chelsea definitely have, on paper, a clear path. But then you look at the teams they're playing against. Liverpool, like you said, haven't lost a game in eons at at Anfield. And, of course, they'll be, um, they'll be fresher for this game because they haven't played, they wouldn't have played since the last game against Arsenal. And that's going to be like a week. And then also, they will be presented the Premier League title that day. So they would want to make you know, a decent result, want to get at least a win to seal the attire. So, so it makes it very difficult for Chelsea. But the good thing for Chelsea, you know, if there's going to be a good a good thing in this, in all of this is that they would have seen Leicester City play against sports. So the result in that game might definitely affect how they'll react before they play against Liverpool. So taking, for instance, Tottenham, you know, pull off an upset and get a result over, over Leicester City means that Chelsea know that if they get a win in this game, is as good as done because there were four points of Leicester City and there is no one catching them on the final day of the season. But if Leicester City gets a point or a win, then it's clear cut for Chelsea. Their work is clear cut for them. They need to get a win over Liverpool, which will be really, really difficult. But I mean, football, like they say, anything can happen. It really can happen that Chelsea might go to Liverpool and get a result. But that's still to come. Now, let's look at Manchester United. Who at the moment, have maybe the easier... In fact, yes, they have the easiest running of the three teams. They play against West Ham, who seem to have booked their place in the Premier League for next season with a resident result over Watford. Do you think that Manchester United would nick it right at the death? Well, I think Manchester United, of all those three teams, are the side with the highest chance of actually qualifying for the Champions League. You look at their fixtures, like you mentioned, West Ham on paper is the easiest of any of the opponents of those teams that are fighting for the top four spots. That's one. Two, Manchester United are the team of all those three sides in the best vein of form. If you add all these things with Bruno Fernandes, either scoring or assisting a goal every time he takes to the pitch for Manchester United, I just feel United will get the chance. I'm talking about now that West Ham are almost totally safe and have secured their status in the Premier League for another season. It feels like they won't play that match with as much blood, sweat and tears as we might have seen if they were still very much submerged in a relegation dogfight. So I think for Manchester United, they will get a win against West Ham. And with that, they probably will already have one leg in the UEFA Champions League next season. And, you know, they might also have it in mind that, you know, even if they don't, if they, even if they fail to make it, even though they fail to make the Champions League three top four, they can easily focus on the Europa League if push comes to shove. That's if they do not make any top four. So having that on the back of their mind just, you know, helps you with confidence to head into these games. So here we go. Final take. Of these three teams remaining, which teams do you think would make it to the top four? Definitely, I think Manchester United are going to make it into the top four. I even think Manchester United will go as far as finishing third in the Premier League. The one that is very difficult for me to call is who gets to drop between Leicester City and Chelsea. I think Leicester City, because they have their fate in their own hands, a straight shootout against Manchester United in the final round, 
I think they will just sneak in ahead of Chelsea. So I think it will be Liverpool in first, Manchester City in second, Manchester United in third, and Leicester City to just edge Chelsea in fourth. Okay. And um, now, if that happens, what do you think will be... If that happens, what do you think it will mean for a team like Chelsea? Not getting into the Champions League, finishing fifth, haven't signed qualities, quality players in Dieck and Timo Werner. Really, in fact, signing them, they, they were ready to attack the Champions League with these quality players. What do you think would happen at the bridge? Well, I think that would definitely be a disappointing outcome for Chelsea, Chelsea fans and the owner, Roman Abramovich. I think that would definitely be a disappointing outcome for Chelsea, Chelsea fans and the owner, Roman Abramovich. The only bit of positive news for them is they've already locked down signings for Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech. Kai Havertz, there's been a lot of talks in the media and according to reports, but that's not been signed, sealed and delivered yet. I think because of the circumstances in which Chelsea went into this season, I don't think Frank Lampard will get the boots even if he fails to qualify for the Champions League. What I just think that will mean is probably Roman Abramovich will be eager and angry to sign out those deals, really bring out the checkbook and go on to buy a whole lot of other players. That's if Chelsea can convince them about the project since we're assuming based on this particular scenario, they will not be in the UEFA Champions League. If it comes to that, remember they still have some monies from previous transfers, including £100 million that could come in from the Eden Hazard sale, as well as some money after Chelsea officially signed off that one with Atletico Madrid for Alvaro Morata. So it shows that even in the trying times of this coronavirus pandemic, Chelsea will have a lot of money to spend. If they can convince these players that there's a project going on at Stamford Bridge, they might get to reinforce, but that wouldn't take the fact that it will be a very disappointing season if Chelsea fail to make it to the Champions League. Okay, let's see how that pans out. But as you have definitely listed Chelsea out of this, personally, I know I might sound partisan, I still think Chelsea would nick this one simply because um, for Leicester City, they definitely have a very tough running. They haven't really been confident going into games. And I do not see them getting a result over Tottenham Hotspur. Neither do I see them getting a result over Leicester City. And if that happens, I think Chelsea would nail it. Chelsea might go on to Liverpool, get a point, and then do the job over Wolves on the final day of the season. Wolves are not fighting for anything anymore. Well, maybe they'll be fighting for a sport in the Europa League. But still, I think Chelsea would get the job done at the bridge because they haven't lost at the bridge since the, since the restart. And um, that might just be what it would take to get, to, to get a place in the top four. So for me, I think it's going to be Liverpool finishing first, as obvious as we can see, Manchester City finishing second, and then it's going to be Manchester United finishing third, and then Chelsea fourth. That's for me, though. Okay. Well, let's see. Let's see how it goes eventually. All right, now we're away from England where a lot of things are happening. You know, lots, lots, and lots, and lots. And in fact, I think the English Premier League has taken a lot of the attention during these restarts across leagues in Europe. Nobody is even talking about what's happening in Italy. Juventus are just trying to give the title away, but it's impossible because the teams who are meant to wrestle um, with them for it points away as well so uh, I mean it's it's really it's really really hard to say what's happening in Italy but what we can confirm to you is that in Spain a new has emerged and Real Madrid on Thursday got a result that's guaranteed a title at the very least this season and that's not just a 
small title. It was the La Liga title they conquered during the week. And thanks to um, an amazing performance since the restart, they won all their matches, all of those games, eight of them won. Uh, I mean, says a lot about a team, a team really, really hungry to win a title for the first time in since 2017. Yeah. yeah, so Real Madrid clearly were taking up prisoners in their game and were firing on all cylinders all the matches they played. Goals from Benzema, clutch goals from um, Sergio Ramos as well. And um, now they're smiling the champions. Yeah, they are smiling. 34th official title, 34th time in their history that they're champions of Spain. And I think it's very interesting to see that a team like Real Madrid, who are known for their plethora of attacking talent, won this league, especially post-restart, based on how well they did defensively. Of the 10 games that they played, they were able to keep a clean sheet in six of them, considering only four goals, and they did not concede more than a goal in any of the matches that they played in the La Liga since the season officially got restarted after the coronavirus pandemic. I think this is absolutely amazing. Thibaut Couture has been really good for them. You mentioned those clutch goals by Sergio Ramos and someone of an unsung hero, Karim Benzema, up to 21 La Liga goals. I think Zinedine Zidane has done an amazing job with this Real Madrid squad and every single player in that dressing room deserves a whole lot of credit. Now, talking about Zinedine Zidane, everyone at first, in his first stint at Real Madrid, was saying, you know, he was the luckiest manager in the world. I mean, he came into a team like Cristiano Ronaldo, a team that had won the Champions League a, a year before. And then he won three straight Champions League titles. And people still didn't give him the due credit. He won the league title also. He won the Copa del Rey as well. He won everything that, that needed to be won. But nobody really rated him as high as he ought to have been rated. But now, he's won a league title and everyone is singing his praises. Now, would you rank him as one of the greatest Real Madrid managers of all time, considering the fact that he has won everything that has to be won in football for Real Madrid? And considering the short space of time he has done that. Now, ideally, to take a manager almost half of his career to win or to amass as much as many titles as Zidane has amassed in the past few seasons. And he's done that in just five full years. Real Madrid. Zinedine Zidane is definitely ready to jump into that conversation of greatest Real Madrid managers ever. I mean, just taking a look at his CV is absolutely staggering. He has won two La Liga titles, two Super Copa Espana titles, three UEFA Champions League titles, two UEFA Super Cup titles, and two FIFA Club World Cup titles. And this is only in a little over three and a half to four years. It might extend to five years if you add some of those patches from those particular seasons. It's absolutely bonkers from Zinedine Zidane. This was a Real Madrid team that for so long couldn't win the Champions League. Carlo Ancelotti came, won it for them in 2014. And Zidane came, won three straight Champions League titles, was able to win the league with them. I just think when we're talking about greatest Real Madrid managers for Zinedine Zidane, the only thing that might stand against him for not being the greatest of all time is longevity. Like I said, he has not amassed up to five years in total. And then we have some other managers who've done some really amazing things for Real Madrid in the past. I mean, we look at someone like Vicente Del Bosque, who was able to win two Champions League and two La Liga titles with Real Madrid over four seasons. You have some other managers, Miguel Menos, who was there for 14 years, who led them to nine La Liga titles, only failing to win the league on five occasions. So I think first things first, if Zinedine Zidane goes on to win the UEFA Champions League for Madrid this season, 
then we might have to end the debate for greatest Madrid manager of all time and just give that accolade to Zinedine Zidane. I mean, that would be ridiculous for someone who just started managing Real Madrid just a little over five years ago, being talked about as one of their greatest managers of all time. But it's clear to see three Champions League titles on his pin, two La Liga titles in three years. The two La Liga titles in how many, for like three full seasons at the club, says yeah. a lot about the quality of the man himself. And um, it would just be interesting to see how far he goes. Now, talking about his Real Madrid team, over the past decade, it has been Barcelona dominating the La Liga. But we're clearly seeing Barcelona currently decline because Lionel Messi is getting older. He's about 33 years and he isn't getting younger. Um, their core players are also getting older. Gerard Piquet is over 30. Luis Suarez is also that is also over 30. Um, Ivan Rakitic, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba. These are the guys who were who formed of the successful Barcelona team of this current decade. And clearly, they aren't getting younger anymore. And Real Madrid are gradually shifting from the old guns and having young guys. It's it's a clear balance between the young and the experienced. For Sergio Ramos's experience, there is Varane's youth. For Marcelo's experience as well, there's a younger Felan Mendy who is tearing the wings apart. Real Madrid have abundance of right-backs to call. They've got Dani Cavallacci who's also getting older. There's Odrio Zola who is currently alone at Bayern Munich. And in midfield, I mean, you can go on and on for Casemiro, there's Valverde. Yes, you talk about um, Tony Cruz and, um, Luka, and Luka Modric, but they've got abundance of players in that mix. Uh, and then we'll talk about going forward. They've got Vinicius, they've got Rodrigo, um, a couple of players, maybe the guys who are not hitting the heights yet, that's in Luka Jovic and the other guys, but still, Real Madrid clearly look, look like a team uh, that can dominate the league for the foreseeable future. Do you agree with me? I totally agree with you. I mean, when you were mentioning those Real Madrid attackers, my mind went straight to Asensio, who is another player in the attacking phase that Real Madrid is also under 25. They also have Isco, who is in that very ripe mid-20s age right now. Well, late-ish 20s, you of course know that Eden Hazard is expected to hit the ground running officially next season. So you look at this Real Madrid team, they have that perfect blend of experience and youth. And it seems like everything is going their way right there at the Santiago Bernabeu. If you look at the other side, Camp Nou, it seems like the house is in tatters. Lionel Messi has made some very damning statements. So based on these two factors and the fact that they have a club legend taking the reins for Real Madrid, I actually think if these players live up to the potential and the hype that we've seen so far, they can go on to dominate this La Liga I mean, they can actually go on to dominate the Spanish division. It's quite interesting to see how Barcelona would react to Real Madrid's recent triumph if they would go on to, you know, sign lots of quality players like they have done time and again. But it's quite interesting to see how they would cope with, you know, Messi. Like you said, he came out with an outburst yesterday after they lost um, to Osasuna. And, um, you know, he's talking about how they failed to, you know, play with intensity, how teams come out and feel like they are hungrier than Barcelona to get results. And if this continues, you know, they might not get a result over Napoli. 
that was one of the things Lionel Messi actually mentioned, him feeling that if they continue playing like this, they might not actually get that result against Napoli. And I totally agree with him. He scored a free kick against Osasuna and he had a reaction I have never seen from Lionel Messi in his over 30 years of life. That's not my only issue with Barcelona. I mean, you already mentioned whether they will go into the transfer market and try to get some players to see if they can close the gap with Real Madrid. Two problems. First of all, it's no longer a secret that Barcelona are having some form of financial issues. I don't know what exactly it is, but it feels like they have a lot of debt and the club's financial structure is in tatters. So even if they want to sign players, it's going to be very difficult. But let's even assume that they can get money from somewhere to sign players. You look at the last few transfer windows of Barcelona, especially immediately after selling Neymar. The players they've gone on to sign have not made the impact. The names like Coutinho, Griezmann, Usmani Dembele, they scream out to you straight away as a club that not only are having financial issues, but don't seem to be able to scout the players properly and get those players that fit in with the modus operandi at Camp Nou. Mm. Really, really deep thoughts there. Uh, I think the beauty of the game itself is the fact that we, we get to see teams reinvent themselves. A couple of years ago, it was Atletico Madrid who were causing real havoc in the La Liga. And then Barcelona took charge again and became Real Madrid. But last the, the last decade, previous decade, you know, it was Real Madrid dominating the Liga. And then Barcelona took reign, went on a run of uh, um, league triumphs. And right now, Real Madrid have gotten a foothold of the league again. We'll get to see if they can maintain this charge for the next coming year. I personally think they can, but we just have to wait to see if it's really, really going to materialize and if Real Madrid definitely have what it takes to do what Barcelona have been doing in the league for the past couple of years. With that, we'll definitely be wrapping up the show today. I mean, we would have loved to talk about transfers, but not a lot really has happened. Yeah, because uh, major leagues are trying to wrap up the season. So there is yep. a lot of concentration on finishing the season strong um, rather than trying to get players off the market. And interesting and good thing for Premier League clubs, um, the PL has revealed that the transfer window will now be open from um, late July till the first week in August. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. The first week in October. October, is it the- yeah. yeah. First week in October. Mistaken. I think the 5th of October or something... Yeah. And then they have an emergency one-week window for just domestic transfers also. Yeah. So, I mean, it gives the Premier League teams liberty to uh, and a lot of time to actually re-strategize and see where they need to fix. And I know some clubs will have massive exodus of players and there'll be massive influx of players too. But then there is the coronavirus, which has affected finances of some top clubs in Europe. But we get to see if maybe... One way or the other, there will be maybe more free transfers, more loan deals than real huge deals in the coming window. But with that, I think it's been a wrap on the show today. Thank you very much, Jamaloji, for joining me on this one. It's always a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to see the final last few rounds of fixtures. We've talked about a lot of things across Europe's top five leagues. And of course, we'll be keeping a major eye on for transfers. Yes, we cannot wait. I feel it's going to be a season of a lot of swap deals, the kind of things you see on your game consoles, your FIFAs, for those of you who play PES, as well as your football manager. Keep following the conversation. Make sure you follow the guys 
yes to stalk us on social media my handle is at damiloju salio that's d-a-m-i-l-o-j-u S-A-L-I-U. No space, no underscore, no dots. Just follow me there on Twitter, Instagram, and the conversation never sleeps. Yeah, he also never sleeps whenever it comes to play chess as well. So you can follow him if you're a chess. <laughs> That's good, though. <laughs> if you're a chess buff like him. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to get a hang of it. And um, I think I'm doing well as well. But, I mean, he's, he's like the, the, the chess master here, so... <laughs> You could give him a follow as well. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at btoby. That's T H E T O double B I, or just search for Van Toby. I definitely will be following back. So thank you very much, you guys, for listening. We'll be back again with another interesting edition next time. Have a fantastic week. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Football Centric. Please join us again another time.